You are listening to For the Record, a registrar podcast sponsored by ACRO. I'm Tom Black, University Registrar at Johns Hopkins University. Welcome to For the Record, a Registrar podcast sponsored by ACRO. I'm your host, Doug McKenna, and today's episode is focused on technology. I don't think it's an overstatement to say that technology has been the leading driver for changes to the work of the Registrar over the past 30 to 40 years, or that the rate of technological change has and continues to increase and that technology will continue to significantly influence the way we conduct our work into the foreseeable future and beyond. So today we're going to talk to two individuals who get it when it comes to technology. University Registrar Tom Black, currently at Johns Hopkins University, and University Registrar Frank Blaylark, currently at Duke University. They'll reflect on the ways that technology has changed the work of the registrar during their careers, and we'll learn about the methods and strategies they use to stay current with technological trends. And we'll kick things off with Tom Black. Welcome. Thank you for joining me on For the Record. We are here to talk about technology in the registrar's office, but to kick things off, tell us a little bit about yourself. I've been in the registrar's profession for a little over 40 years. Um, I practiced the craft, and I call it a craft as opposed to a profession, at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, Duke University, University of Chicago. Stanford University, and now I'm the inaugural university registrar for Johns Hopkins University. So just a couple of small places people might have heard of. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I've had a very fortunate career in that regard. Um, Very fine institutions, um, very uh, competitive student um, populations. Uh, They really uh, have allowed me to extend my thinking about the use of technology in ways that I don't know that everybody else has um, a similar experience. The students are critical here. Uh, Yeah, that's a, I love that point. Um, And so over your 40-year career, I imagine uh, that you have seen some significant changes in the way technology has been applied to the administrative processes within the registrar's office. And maybe you could give uh, a quick overview of some of those significant changes. Sure. The use of mainframes were just coming into uh, their own when I started. And there were two approaches. Uh, there was the use of mainframes for registration and demand analysis or the use of mainframes for the creation of a record. What is interesting, one of the more exciting technology innovations when I started was, and wait for it, updatable microfiche. (laughs) Now no one ever talks about microfiche. (laughs) Um, I've got a full fireproof cabinet. (laughs) So yeah, 
another uh, big innovation, but most people don't think about it uh, at uh, that it, that it is an innovation. But at the time, it was uh, was the fax machine. And in fact, I remember Acro uh, in the mid '80s had this big campaign, and I I still have the button. Uh, the button was no more sacred cows, and it was an attempt to jostle from. Uh, the mindset of registrars at the time that we could use uh, technology to actually improve, um, in this case, the ordering experience for transcripts. Wow. Uh, so fax machines were a big deal. But I think, I think where it really uh, took off in terms of the application of technology in our craft was the... Um, uh, touch tone telephone and what I, the reason i point that out and that was only a really a 10-year phenomenon right it, roughly mid 80s to mid 90s and then of course the internet took over yep. but what the the touch tone phone did was really move us away from the medium of paper as it pertained to registration up until that time we were still managing uh, forms and paper, sometimes computer cards. Yep. And uh, so the touch-tone phone moved us right off of that medium. Yeah. At Notre Dame, we had direct access registration by telephone, the DART system. Right. And then the Internet uh, arrived, and that just continued, really, the, the trends of moving our professional activities, our registration activities, to the computer. Yeah we were a little slower and still in some parts slower in moving the record the transcript to the digital environment where we started to move towards digitization of the record was when a group of very fine forward-thinking registrars (laughs) uh, they've all retired now um, but they uh, decided that we would standardize the um, transcript, the the format of the transcript, in the form of EDI, electronic data interchange. So it wasn't really made for what we uh, uh, used it for, but they were successful, and they had a good following, uh, roughly about 600 uh, I think uh, post-secondary institutions and roughly 600 high schools. So it did have some movement, and where it made sense uh, 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 and w- implemented um, most often is when there was a public two-year uh, institution feeding a public four-year institution. Right. right. And so they set up those feeding um uh, uh, scenarios uh, moving data from those two uh, institutions and they used the EDI standard and at the time the SISs embraced it readily and so the the large SISs the banners the people softs uh, at the time um, actually would format the uh, the data in um, EDI format and um, People were Make able it to consumable by that yeah. product. Yeah, yeah. Um, about 2004, they took the EDI standard and created an XML standard, and now they're working on a JSON standard. 
Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's still uh, active and alive. But if you if you weren't um, an institution that had an established feeding relationship, like at the time um, I was at the University of Chicago, I didn't have as a private institution. I didn't have a uh, a pipeline to any particular institution. Our our graduates uh, went everywhere. Uh, we had to come up with something else, and that's where the PDF. Um, and the standard associated with the PDF was created. And that's where we got into the uh, digital signing of the um, PDF. Right. And by about 2010, that became kind of a de facto way of transmitting the uh, record. So you see the record <clears throat> was slower than registration in terms of moving off of the uh, medium of paper. Yes. How do you stay current with technological offerings? How do you stay up to date on what's new and what's fresh? I really enjoy this. And I'll tell you why. It, it's the way, and I'll answer your question in a minute, but I just want to uh, give some background in the way I think about yeah, this. Absolutely. A lot of people think of, well, there's two major camps, I think, when you think about technology. Some think of it as a liability. It's, um, mostly uh, accountants think of it as like a liability. It's a must-have. You have to spend money on it. And, oh, my God, let's see if we can keep the cost to a minimum. That's their thinking. And then there are people that think, oh, it's an asset, and it enables um enables efficiency, enables uh, uh, effectiveness, it, it enables um, new processes. And, and so depending on your point of view, you're going to uh, come to uh, the prospect of implementing technology differently. Now, I'm, I'm an enabler, uh, as you probably uh, I've, guess. I've guessed. <laughs> <laughs> but then what frame of reference do you take what lens uh, do you look through, uh, even as an enabler? And I've always thought, first and foremost, from the lens of the student. And that makes a big difference. Yes. And as opposed, as opposed to the lens of a staff person, because that's a perfectly legitimate point of view. I want to use technology to make my processing day easier or yeah. faster, or more effective. That is legitimate. And I, unfortunately, I think um, it, it, people with the enabling lens often have the staff point of view. And um, that's not nearly as exciting as the enabling lens with the student point of view. I agree. Because if you have the student point of view, Every four years, you're getting new students in there affecting the way you think about technology. Yeah. And it's even faster than that every yeah. year. And that, and that's why I, uh, I'm sort of uh, religiously uh, devoted to the Beloit mindset list. It is uh, very useful. It's been going on for about 20 years. And what, what it is is that uh, some professors in Beloit College put together – what they believe the incoming class knows or don't right don't your know. incoming students have uh, never not had an iphone that kind right, of a thing right so that really changes the way you think about things 
And one of my biggest, I thought, creative moves was the the first iPhone application for uh, an institution. Now, it was written by students. And the only inspiration that occurred was I was looking around at the student body and everybody had these devices right. in their hands. And I'm, and I'm thinking, wow, this is a great yeah. opportunity. How can we get our services in those devices? And that was really the only um, thought I had. I didn't even yeah. know how to do it. And I think that that's an important thing, too. Like, you don't need to know how to do it. Somebody's going to know how to do it. You, you need to be able to see and recognize the opportunity. And I think that that's a, yeah. an important thing for people to recognize and not to be afraid of, well, I don't know how to make an app or I don't know how to do whatever it is that they're thinking about doing. They can find somebody who knows how to do it. But it often just takes somebody to say, we need that, and then kick that off. So good on you. And since I have such a student focus, then it brought me to using students to help me accomplish some of the things I wanted to accomplish. Because you can design software and systems lots of different ways, but you really want to design it so the students will want to use it. And so their point of view is different from a guy my age, <laughs> I can tell you. <laughs> and they always surprise me. So I think that that's critical. Yeah. Using students to help you design the software and the systems is critical. Yeah. And then again, there are, it seems every year, an increasing number of vendors and offerings how do you determine which ones are worth it? How do you evaluate those services to see, okay, this is something we want to invest in? Yeah. Well, I spend half my time at our annual meetings in Acrotech in the vendor hall. And I basically go around to the different tables and I, I challenge them to teach me something new. Nice. <laughs> Tell me what you're doing that's That's special. different. Yeah. That's different. Right. Uh, precisely. Um, and they'll readily do that. And and so that's how I get, you know, a lot of uh, information. And then I'm also an avid reader of uh, technology. Blogs, um, magazines. Blogs and, yeah, okay. and, right, right. I would start with EduCause. I mean, that would, that's a clear choice. But I, I will also add that in reading, I, I let one article lead me to another. And likewise, I also read uh, the Chronicle Higher Ed and the criticisms that many of the writers have about higher ed. And sometimes they uh, point out big flaws in what we're doing. And when I, I collect those flaws to see if there's something I can do yeah. uh, about them. Yeah. That's a great approach. I like that very much. The other uh, uh, area that I uh, believe that w we could do better as a profession is to embrace some of our uh, colleagues, uh, other organizations. And the one that comes to mind is AACNU, uh, the Association of American Colleges and Universities. Yes. 
because they are very much responsive to the academics and the academy. And obviously, we are here to serve the academy. And it's kind of important to know what they're thinking and what's troubling them. So I think to to be concise, I think you have to be willing to learn and put yourself into uncomfortable learning positions all the time. It's just going to be an active uh, endeavor because technology is not, not only is it changing, it's changing faster than it ever did before. And I can barely keep up with it. I mean, we're going to be talking about artificial intelligence here and how it's being used. We're going to be talking about data lakes and analytics and algorithms. I mean, my God. It's both a very exciting time and kind of a scary time at the same time. Exactly, uh, because we don't even know what these things are going to produce. And I don't even think the technologists know. It's, it's going to take a, a willingness to be uncomfortable. We're talking to Frank Blaylark, University Registrar at Duke University. Uh, and to kick things off, Frank, give us some background about you. Hey, um, as you said, my name is Frank Blaylark. I'm the current um, AVP and Registrar at Duke. Prior to coming to Duke, I was the Registrar at Purdue. And prior to that, I was the Director of the Office of Registrar at University of Minnesota Twin Cities. I think altogether, I've been in the Registrar field about 15 years or so. Still going strong. Nice. And in that time, I imagine that there have been some technological innovations that you have seen applied to the work of the registrar. Can you give some examples of those, some highlights, an overview? Yeah, I think, oddly enough, for registrars that probably started after around 2002, most of what we do has been centered around technology. So I use 2002 because there's a lot of big ERP implementations around 2000, um, whether it's PeopleSoft or Banner, that's where you start seeing this massive shift away from legacy systems. Um, so when I came in, I came into a world that was centered around PeopleSoft at the University of Minnesota. Um, and at that time, um, there had been some companies, there's been a move from these smaller companies being gobbled up. So that's a little bit of a change. For example, when I came in, there was uh, a vow for transcripts. I know you might remember them. Yep. Um, and they combined with another company to now have parchment. Um, also, since then, you see a definite increase in cloud-based products and um, the underlying infrastructure for cloud-based products or even the idea of them being configurable, not necessarily customizable. I think that's the, a, a monumental shift that's going to hit us all pretty hard in the coming years. Yes. I wrote a paper about this in my uh, master's program where the massive technological infrastructure overhaul as a result of the Y2K scare really set a lot of things in motion. And so that 2000, 2001 time period, I agree, is like this huge explosion in technological infrastructure. So pretty neat. Yeah. yeah. With so many different potential technology solutions for the work of the registrar. How do you go about assessing which ones are viable, which ones are meaningful, and ultimately how do you decide on what you as or your institution uh, is going to go forward with? 
Yeah, it's um, I hate to give a vague answer, but in short, it depends on the process. <laughs> um, Perfect. <laughs> at a macro level, registrar's offices don't function all that differently. Um, most of us have an ERP for records, right? A dedicated place to store our academic records. Um, decisions about big ERP systems happen across a broad scope of offices. So it's not just registrar. It usually involves central IT, um, potentially another office that's functional analysts. So those are really big decisions that impact everyone. Um, you come down a couple levels, some offices have dedicated applications for catalog, for example. Um, class scheduling will be another one. Room scheduling will be another one. Transcripts and so on and so forth. Maybe right. diplomas. Um, when it comes down to those lower level applications, we have a, a bit more latitude to make decisions in the office. And when I look at specific processes and which applications to potentially purchase, it depends on, one, do we have a homegrown solution or not, right? So with the homegrown solutions, I'm sure you've, you've uh, had to deal with this. Most of them will get built and not necessarily be tended to or cared for as much as they should. Right. <laughs> they can all use a little bit more TLC. Yep. And you get this kind of uh, rot going on. <laughs> so you build something in place and it hasn't been updated for a decade. But right. at the time, it, our process it worked changing. great yeah. at the time that it was implemented. Absolutely. It worked excellent at the time it was implemented um, for the colleges in the state they were in in that time. Right. But as curriculum changes, pedagogy, pedagogy changes, um, the needs change. And we kind of get locked into these archaic systems that may or may not have been updated in some time. And one example we have here is one. It was written on old um, code structure, and Central IT said you have to make a decision to either start the process to completely rebuild this thing or go buy something new. <laughs> Thanks, <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> It was an honest answer, and I'm glad they gave it to us instead of saying, we're a shop that likes to build, we, you know, we're going to keep this in-house. They gave me a realistic um, expectation. Yeah. So when put in some of those situations, I like to, to really think about, one, what's on the market, right? Is there a best of breed? And also, is there an application that gives us more latitude locally to be less dependent on central IT? Yeah. So if the name of a college or department changes or if we slightly want to change a workflow, looking for tools that give us the ability to do that in-house without having to put in a ticket, and then have this massive effort to basically take the lid off an application and go into the guts and make right. that or change. without having to go um, to the vendor themselves to make that to make that exactly yeah. yeah yeah so looking for the most flexibility you can have in terms of um, local configuration but also trying to be less reliant or put less of a burden on our uh, central IT resources which in essence ends up being many of these cloud-based products yeah so this ties in well, you said something about, is there best of breed, you know, what's on the market? And so this ties into the question of how do you stay current with knowing what's on the market? What's best of breed? What, what is your process there? And are, is that an ongoing thing for you? Or is it a sort of targeted activity during these times of need? Um, it's ongoing and depends on your communication channel. So Luckily for registrars, we have really good organizations like Acro, put in that plug hey, for you. Thank, 
um, but also the AAU group that I belong to, and then listservs. So really being active on listservs and hearing what people are using for certain applications is an excellent way to stay current. It's really just word of mouth, who's using what, and then following up with, does it work? That's um, a very important question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's you can't get the does it work from a no, vendor. No, because of course it works. <laughs> it totally works. Of course it works. And if you've had a lot of experience with vendors over time, you realize that there is a, um, there's a gap <laughs> in information between what the salespeople may know or say and what the back-end technical people may know or say or be able to do. So the product is sold one way. But technically, it may not be able to do what it's being sold as. Um, so the word of mouth and being um, meeting up with your colleagues is an excellent way to stay current. But also, um, Acro, actually going into Acro and the meeting with vendors there, um, informing those relationships with companies is yeah. also good. So there's some companies that I don't do business with that uh, I still have pretty good relationships with. Um, to ask them if they're ever thinking about adding functionality um, or to help me get ideas or to really just brainstorm. I have some companies I'll just brainstorm with and ask, have they ever thought of fill in the blank? That's cool. And so do you just wander through the um, vendor hall at meetings? How do you make those connections with vendors? Yep. Going through the vendor hall halls, getting information from them and over time for me, I just have a relationship. Yeah. Some of them contact me just to ask um, if I have any new ideas or um, if I'm interested in products. But the caveat with best of breed, though, is um, I think one of the challenges or opportunities we're facing going forward is as cloud-based products started to mature, a smaller number of companies started having more of a suite of cloud-based products. So you could end up in a situation um, where most of us probably will to where you start off looking for best of breed, but get hit with other opportunities of staying in-house with yeah. a specific company. So say you have four modules or four applications from a company because they integrate well, as opposed to going to get a best of breed product that does not integrate with what you already have because they're competitors. Right. And I think that there's something to be said there about ease of use and ease of sort of continuity between your systems um, that you're working with. And even if you aren't using the very best on the market, if it's something that is e easy to stand up because you have an install of a particular application already and this is an add-on or something like that, like to your point before, it lessens the resource requirement from central IT yeah. and potentially makes things easier on the staff within the registrar's office. How many absolutely how many any technical people do you have in your office on your staff? I would almost say at some level every one of my staff are technical. Because as we shifted to these cloud-based products, so, for example, you could have products where you used to have to go to either an office of business analyst or central IT to change security, right? right? Many of these products have security in them, and they're local. So over time, I've actually changed some job descriptions and had them reclassified because there's certain aspects 
of the technical application, people in this office have to know how to operate and support where they didn't have to in the past. So that's a little bit different. So this office is about 16 um, staff. And I would say at some level, all of them have to be technical, whether it's dealing with our student information system, PeopleSoft, or many of our um, third-party applications, whether either managing security um, or managing workflow processes or working directly with vendors on how pro- uh, how applications yeah. work. This actually is a wonderful segue for another different episode, actually two different episodes of For the Record. We have one on performance management, uh, but another on developing staff as these roles change. And so um, people who used to just sit and process forms, like what skills do they need in order to continue doing the work of the registrar and how do you go about um, training those people up? So that those are discussions for another day, but that's a great segue. So I think, yeah. And related to that, um, I think back, backing up a step back to the applications I didn't speak to is when we're looking at applications too, there's very few companies that have applications that are built within an ERP. So that use native pages. So not to put in a plug for a company, but we use high point. I don't think that's any secret. Um, if you think before high point, we're always trying, trying to find creative ways to get the data as fresh as possible between applications. Right. You know? Um, and many times we're stuck with an extract that gets uploaded or a web service that gets refreshed at a time interval. High point is a little bit different. And I don't know too many other applications, if any, that build their their pieces right into the student information system. So the data is real time. Um, and that starts guiding some of our um, decisions too going forward. That's very cool. I was not aware of the real timeness there. So, Oh yeah. So students can enroll right from their cell phone, real time. Students do their schedule optimization, real time in the interface back and forth. The read, write abilities for that particular application are significantly greater um, and less burdensome to figure out than other ones that we've looked at. Cool. I will check them out. It's fun to learn something every day. Are there any other tips or tricks that you want to offer people when thinking about technology or the applications of technology to registrar processes? I think I would encourage people for smaller transactional processes, whether that's um, ordering a transcript, ordering a diploma, to not be tied to long-term solutions more one to three year contracts, mainly because with more and more products going online, don't be afraid to fail. What worked yesterday might not even be sufficient for next year when you start talking chatbots and AI and all these integrations. Um, So we've had some smaller processes where I had one application in place for one year and a completely different one the next. Um, And that seems disruptive, but sometimes that disruption is necessary to even keep up with the requirements or the demands that are coming from our students, um, staff, and faculty. Thanks again to Tom Black and Frank Blaylark for sharing their tips and tricks for keeping current with technology. I hope you're able to glean a few useful ideas from their experience. Thanks for listening. 
I'd love to hear from you. Email me at registrarpodcast at gmail.com to share your thoughts, suggestions, or ideas for future episodes. Please share the podcast with your staff and your colleagues. We have some great episodes in the pipeline that you and they won't want to miss. I feel like I need a catchy catchphrase sign-off, like Casey Kasem had, keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. Or, obviously, the revered good night and good luck. So, if you have ideas, please drop me an email with your suggestions. Until then, thanks again for listening. Insert catchy catchphrase sign-off here. I'm Doug McKenna, and this is For the Record. (laughs) 